Thank you, choir, for that beautiful reminder of those powerful words by Emma Lazarus uh, emblazoned on the Statue of Liberty that call us to our best selves as human beings and as citizens of this country. I remember a speaker once saying that that Statue of Liberty, that's a good reminder on our historic East Coast, and maybe we need to build a statue of responsibility on the West Coast and then live somewhere in that tension as a country. Along those lines, my calendar reminded me recently that my passport is due to expire in April. I set a reminder uh, quite a few months early because it turns out that some countries require that your passport be valid at least six months beyond the dates of your trip. So I took a few minutes last week to visit the public library downtown. They took a new passport photo there and completed the renewal application. Presumably, the U.S. State Department will issue me a new passport in a few weeks. That will certainly be a sermon if they don't. Uh, And if there are times in the coming decade when I need to travel internationally, that passport will certify that I am a citizen of the United States, uh, not only for the purposes of entering another country, but also so that I can get back into this country and return home. I saw last week, according to the official literature, it says, with your U.S. passport, the world is yours. Hashtag imperialism, right? Like, that's a little bit of a dangerous slogan. Uh, but actually, it's, it's true uh, from a certain perspective that if you can afford airfare and perhaps a small visa fee, then pretty much any U.S. citizen can tra- leave this country and travel to almost anywhere in the world. But it's important to remember occasionally that for most of our fellow human beings on this planet, that is not the case. Uh, As the Salem State University history professor Aviva um, Chomsky has written about in her powerful book, Undocumented, How Immigration Became Illegal, it's published through our own Beacon Press, uh, it's helpful to remember that most of the world's population, for them, freedom to travel is a distant dream. They can't leave the country of their birth because no country will let them in, and we should be honest, least of all, the United States. Today, whole countries, almost all of them in the so-called first world, shut themselves off to travelers while assuming that their own citizens have the right to travel anywhere that we choose. Why do we have freedom of travel, freedom of movement for some, but not for all? Far too frequently, the ethics of immigration are oversimplified into questions. Why don't they? It's it's always them. It's always they, right? Why don't they get in line and do what my ancestors did? Such formulations mask how radically immigration requirements have changed over time, and it covers up the history, the ugly history of racial bias in our country's immigration laws. When my ancestors came to this country from Scotland and England, U.S. borders were relatively open, especially if you were considered white, a category that's changed many times over the years. At that time, our government excluded a mere 1% of the 25 million immigrants who landed at Ellis Island before World War II. 1% of the 25 million. And among those 1%, it was pretty much people were excluded for health reasons, with the major exception of Chinese immigrants who were heavily discriminated against at that time. 
Also, before 1924, there were immigration statutes of limitations that were typically somewhere between one and five years, meaning that people who did come here without official approval, they didn't live forever with the specter of deportation. At a certain point, you were sort of grandparented in. However, less than a century ago in 1924, a new immigration law both created a quota system and it eliminated the statutes of limitations, making the threat of deportation permanent. That is only one among the many examples of how the situation in which people's ancestors entered this country is quite different than what is the case today. And even though I have ancestors who arrived here before the American Revolutionary War, an even more honest accounting of immigration would require us to turn back the clock even further. If a European-American feels entitled to chant, go back to Mexico, go back to Africa, whatever the country or continent of your choice is, well, an American Indian could just as easily hold up a mirror to that protester and say, sure, why don't you go back to Europe? As the caption of a classic political cartoon says, if it's time to reclaim America from the so-called illegal immigrants, many American Indians might tell white people, oh, I'll help you pack. Cultivating more nuanced understandings of immigration is particularly crucial at this moment in our country's history, even if it's as difficult as ever in this moment in our, nation history, in our nation's history to have a reasonable um, conversation about immigration. We find ourselves in a time when various politicians debate about building a wall on the Mexican-American border and argue about the future of approximately 800,000 people who entered this country as minors. Their faith turns on passing legislation along the lines of the DREAM Act. That stands for Development, Relief, and Education of Alien Minors. You're hearing a lot of conversation about DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. In this case, we can see on one hand the good news that most of the American public is already in favor of standing on the side of love for immigration justice. In this case, 67% of Americans favor allowing immigrants brought to the U.S. illegally as children to allow them to gain legal resident status if they either join the military or go to college. Since 2011, support for this policy has just continued to gain support. It's moved from 57% to 67% where it is today. On the other hand, tragically, the popular consensus around sensible immigration reform, it was supported by President Obama, it was supported by President George W. Bush. Before him, it has not yet created sufficient political will to pass desperately uh, needed humane uh, immigration reform. So all the fear-mongering around immigration, it becomes even more tragic when you recall how much immigrants have contributed to this country. Many conservatives and liberals agree about this perspective. The most recent example I can think of is from the conservative columnist Brett Stevens, writing in the New York Times, recently highlighted that Americans have won 40% of all the Nobel Prizes ever awarded, and among that Immigrants accounted for 35% of those winners. Google, Comcast, eBay, Kraft, not all of these companies are actually that great, but stick with me. Pfizer, AT&T, they all had immigrants as founders. As Lin-Manuel Miranda wraps in Hamilton, immigrants, we get the job done. 
And when I think about the long-term struggle for immigration justice in this country, I'm reminded of one of my best professors in seminary who taught history from the perspective of Latina feminism. I'll never forget her asking us to imagine the pictures of the earth that you have seen taken from space. That marble, that blue, beautiful, breathtakingly beautiful blue-green marble floating through the inky blackness of space. Picture that, and then picture beside it almost any globe or almost any map that you've ever seen. What's the difference? Among the differences are that maps and globes almost have lots of human-created lines artificially breaking up the natural world of our planet. Often we break them into these color codes, and then we write names on them to, as labels for which humans have laid claim to various swaths of territory. Beyond that comparison, though, it's really what she said next that resonated with me most in really a devastating way. She said, I've come to see borders as wounds. I've just never forgotten that. I've never seen maps and globes the same way again. I I see them more now as wounds, as, as an injury, as a tear, as a cut, as a trauma that we have chosen for various historically contingent reasons to inflict on ourselves as a species, as a society, or that has been inflicted upon us. My professor came to see borders this way as a Latina feminist historian living in Texas, a place where borders have capriciously moved back and forth over families whose ancestors had lived for generations uh, in the land now known as Texas and Mexico. First, there were the indigenous inhabitants who suddenly found themselves declared to be part of the new kingdom of Spain, the kingdom of New Spain. There's been significant political instability. It would take a long time to trace the nuances of all um, what has gone on in those lands. But in the 19th century, we can look where Texas declared independence for uh, a few years at one point, has been threatening to do so ever since, since the U.S. annexed it a few years later as part of uh, hashtag manifest destiny, right? Meanwhile, many human beings have been trying to simply live their lives while border wounds just keep getting cut above them, below them, around them, and sometimes right through them. The more cosmic and global view of our planet from space is a reminder that we humans did create these borders for contingent, historically contingent reasons, and that means that if we choose to do so, We can erase those lines. We can tear down those walls. We can invent new labels that are more humane and compassionate that help us build the world that we dream about. So I invite you to consider in the coming days and weeks, what are the things you can do within your spheres of influence to work to live into that incredibly lofty goal of our UU6 principle, of the goal of world community? The goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice, not merely for some, but for all. I'll leave you with one final thought. I spoke earlier about the caution from Elie Wiesel about calling someone who is undocumented, calling that human being illegal, that that's incredibly dangerous. The the other pernicious idea that um, seems to me in particular in the immigration debate in this country is this idea that some of us are real Americans and others are not. 
So I'd invite you to challenge that notion that from sea to shining sea and in the middle and everywhere in between, that the people whose ancestors had been here the longest to the person who has most recently passed the citizenship test to become a citizen of this country, we are all real Americans. And so as we relatedly, as we live into that tension of how do we, um, just speaking for myself, you know, really experience love of this country and that tension of wanting to live into a goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all, that one of the, the bumper sticker taglines that I sort of uh, hold for myself of living into that tension says this, I love my country, but I think we should start seeing other people. So in that spirit, may you continue your journey in love. Care for one another and care for this one earth. Do justice and make peace. And as you go, whatever taste or touch you've had in this time and place of hope, of love, of peace or joy, that goes with you out into the world. We're different for having spent this time together. May you live boldly and with thanksgiving.